Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. In this episode, we sit down with guests from Crescent Capital Management, Avi Stein, founder and co-chairman, and Sarah Simon, director, wealth strategist, and wealth advisor, for a discussion around Crescent's vision on reinventing wealth management, and very much like Bridgeford, embracing a totally new wealth management paradigm. This episode also explores how Crescent leads with planning and surrounds clients with a full team to serve them and offer big ideas, such as South Dakota's trust capabilities in terms of tax planning, asset protection, and modern trust laws. My name is David Warren. I am co-founder of Bridgeford Trust Company and delighted to be here for another episode of our podcast series. Uh, The podcast series has proven to be uh, well-received and and we've had some great guests. And today, of course, is no exception. Um, I'm very excited to to have what I know will be a great conversation with uh, with Avi and Sarah of of Cresset. I have known uh, Sarah for many years. Uh, she was a believer in a young Bridgeford Trust Company, uh, and uh, we have gotten to do some phenomenal work with each other throughout the, the country. Uh, we both love big ideas. Uh, I love Sarah's passion. Uh, Sarah's an attorney by training and, and loves the planning concepts as we do, loves modern trust law as we do, and uh, and uh, I think we're going to have a great conversation. And recently, Sarah had transitioned to uh, what to me may be one of the most uh, impressive multifamily offices that I've seen uh, come online here in the last uh, couple of years called Crescent. Um, we're very honored to have Avi with us, who's one of the co-founders, uh, to talk about uh, the unique aspects of Crescent, what they're doing, which has uh, become explosive in my mind. Their growth has become extremely impressive. Uh, the talent that they are acquiring is, is just fantastic. And uh, we're very humbled to be part of their partner platform. Uh, we're a trust solution for them when they are in need of a sophisticated trust solution, um, particularly out of South Dakota. And we're, we're thrilled to have that ability to partner and collaborate. Um, and as I said, what they're doing at Crescent is, is pretty special. Uh, they, like Bridgeford, love the idea of, of leading the conversation um, with planning and how to solve problems. Um, so with that, I, I welcome you both. Thank you so much for joining the podcast series. Thank you, David. So if I could begin, I mean, certainly, you know, from from my perspective as a founder of Bridgeford, I'm, I'm always fascinated when I when I see businesses start from scratch. And, and, and I've been watching you from from really the beginning when I first met your team. And, and I'm, I'm just amazed at what you've done. Um, and I love the way you have positioned your website and, and the way you talk about how you're sort of reinventing wealth management with Crescent. Could you talk about that? And, and what was what was through your mind? What was going through your mind and what prompted you to do it? I mean, you know, very briefly, I'll say for our audience, you, know, you have a tremendously successful history and background and, and, and clearly understand how to grow and, and, and do great business as an entrepreneurial person in the private equity space. And of course, as a Harvard law grad, you understand the legal aspects of things. But at, at what point did you decide that the wealth management industry was broken and you felt the need to create a solution? Well, thanks, Uh, David. I will uh, try to address all of that. Uh, The simple answer is I I flunked retirement. Uh, 
Uh, uh, so Eric Becker and I, uh, two retired private equity executives, uh, both retired early uh, for reasons that had to do with uh, health, health or family. Uh, ne- neither, uh, you know, were done. Uh, and when I re- retired, uh, I decided that I didn't like that very much, and I started investing my own capital, my own family capital, family office capital, alongside of Eric. Uh, and his family office capital. We bought a couple of companies together, did a number of real estate deals together. And we said, you know what? This is kind of really interesting. We like working together. Uh, Our teams like working together. We have some overlap in our expertise, uh, some differentiation. Let's look at a few of the markets that we find interesting, do some research and figure out what makes sense. My background was telecom and media initially. Mm -hmm. Uh, financial services later in my career. Uh, Eric's was healthcare and education uh, early on in his career and some financial services as well. So we looked at healthcare, we looked at telecom and media, and we looked at financial services. We spent a year doing research and we're trend uh, uh, seekers. We like to look at what's happening. It's always interesting to invest in businesses uh, that can be disrupted and businesses that have tailwinds. And the uh, let's call it the bigger uh, asset management, wealth management, multifamily office business was one of those. So here's what we learned. We learned that uh, there was a tremendous tailwind in terms of baby boomer generation uh, passing down uh, amounts of money to the younger generation, which meant there would be a lot of change and a lot of opportunity to grab or garner assets. Secondly, uh, there was a share shift that was amazing, 12% over the last 10 years away from banks and warehouses mm-hmm. toward independent uh, wealth management managers. But third, when you looked at the independent space, it was immensely fragmented. Think about that. Two private, private equity guys looking at a fragmented industry. Wow, that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, but it was fragmented uh, in a way that was really interesting. Uh, most people are selling wealth management services, asset management services. And they're competing on price. Uh, they're competing on, on how they might be more clever, largely with respect to the public markets. We didn't see any of that as the long-term future. What we saw is creating a holistic experience for clients, mm-hmm. a truly outsourced uh, a family office. What we set out to do was to invest and we we had no money yet. We hadn't raised any money other than our own capital. We said, let's invest, let's create a business that works like a $10 billion family office. What does that mean? It means we would have uh, family governance and education to start with the mission, vision, and values, not just for, you know, multi-hundred million dollar families, but for $10 million families or $5 million families, because mission, vision, and values are important. They're important to start early. I didn't start early enough in my career, so I knew how important that was. Second, we would have just a huge focus on tax, estate, trust, all the planning things that you need to start early to get ahead of. Third, obviously, the financial plan and make it goals-based. Make it so that we're really thinking about what are the goals of the family, both short-term, intermediate-term, and long-term, and and structuring the platform to do that. And then fourth, making their lives easier, handling uh, their estate plan, handling their financial plan, handling their needs as a family, whether it's cybersecurity, healthcare advocacy, dealing with aging parents, uh, or just simple things like they're wanting to go on really cool trips. 
uh, buy cars, get jet cards, whatever. All of those things wrapped up in a package so that when people come to us, they're transforming their lives. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you do that right? Well, you have to start with the best investment infrastructure that you can find. And unlike uh, the way most RIA started, I think a large reason for our growth is we said, let's build it first. Mm -hmm. So we went out and we got Jack Ablin. Jack was the chief investment officer of BMO Harris, uh, you know, a huge advocate of, of efficient beta, uh, which is very important in today's world because we don't really, you're going to beat the market. You want the right exposures. It's all in the asset allocation. And Jack is phenomenal uh, at that and, and tilting it, you know, every day if it needs to be tilted. Uh, and then we went out and got Mark Ganay, who uh, was at uh, Presidio and Tiedemann, uh, chief investment officer, uh, to do all of our manager selection and diligence. And that was the first leg of the stool. The second leg was building the family office services uh, mm -hmm. set, uh, which uh, we had wonderful help there uh, from a number of people. We have more than 20 people in our family office services group, and they're all really high quality uh, people, people like Sarah, who's an amazing talent. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we said, okay, what else is differentiating? And, and what would a $20 billion family want to do? Well, $20 billion families probably have 50% of their assets or more invested in private markets, not the public markets. And it's, it's always been uh, curious to me that it's only the institutional investors and very largest families that have invest, invested really thoroughly in, in, in the private markets. Many years ago, uh, Dave Swenson, who was the uh, head of Yale's pension fund, wrote a book on, on how you needed to invest. And basically, his, his proposition was, if you don't have at least half your assets in the private markets, you're going to be left behind. So why is it that we haven't found a way to democratize uh, the investing in private vehicles? So we set out to do that. Mm -hmm. So we built our own private equity team. We built our own real estate team. We built our own private equity secondary uh, vehicle, which is unique because it has liquidity on a quarterly basis. Uh, and it's and it's not a, in a bunch of K1s. It's a it's it's a 1099 vehicle. Uh, and that has been a, a, a huge uh, opportunity for us. Uh, when the tax laws uh, changed in 2017, we built our own Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund, mm -hmm. uh, which has been number one in the market. Uh, and uh, what we do is we partner with great developers like Heinz and Lennar and Washington Properties and the Goodman family in Portland. So that we're getting the best sites, the best properties uh, for long-term holds. So all of it being um, uh, invest like a $10 billion family, and we are over $10 billion now. And we used to say that when we weren't, but we are now. Congratulations, uh, Sam. Uh, thank you. Build the house that we want to live in. It's our money. We invest in everything. Eric and I invest alongside our clients in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So make sure we're building the house that we want to live in. If we're not going to, if we don't like it, we shouldn't have clients investing in it. Um, and have uh, those three very important legs to the stool, uh, which are, you know, just a deep investment infrastructure, broad-based family office services uh, of all shapes and sizes, uh, and access to unique institutional quality private investment vehicles. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, you, you said words like independent, um, 
outsourced. Uh, I like to use the word unbundled. And I think what you described is really the future of our industry. And I think that's probably why in many ways I feel that Bridgeford and Cressida are such kindred spirits in that respect. I mean, I love the, the passion that you built something to solve a problem for yourself and how you built a house that you wanted to live in. And Bridgeford is very much the same. We, we saw some real problems in the trust industry and thought that um, there was a better house to be built. So I, I think that we're, we're, we're perfectly aligned in that respect. And you know, congratulations on the growth. I mean, to, to, to exceed $10 billion so quickly is, is just phenomenal. Um, and really the talent that you're attracting too. I mean, you know, Sarah, of course, is no exception. As you know, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, I have tremendous respect for Sarah, but your team overall has tremendous credentials and, and have, it comes from really the, the top asset management firms. I know you have some amazing lawyers that you brought on staff. I mean, what's, what's the secret in terms of how you're building this amazing team? Because it's not easy to, to acquire this kind of talent. I, I know it firsthand as we, as we grow Bridgeford. So to, please talk to me about, <laughs> tell, the, tell our audience the secret so we can all go out and build our own houses. I'm just you know, it, it, it's a great question. And uh, I've never answered this question quite this way, but I'm going to try. Uh, I'd say it's two things. Uh, number one, it's the concept of entrepreneurship and ownership. So Crescent is owned uh, 70% uh, by all of us, uh, Eric, myself included, of course, in that. And 30%, interestingly, by our clients. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but, but with respect to your question, it's, it's the 70% piece is what's relevant. And it's all about people understand that when they come to Crescent, they have multiple ways to win. And, you know, I hearken back to a story, uh, if we have time, uh, that uh, uh, goes back a ways. Uh, when I built my private equity business, I had a very good friend who was at a large investment bank and they had a private equity f uh, a business and he decided to spin out and start his own fund. And I was ecstatic for him and I helped him and introduced him to a lot of investors, yeah, et cetera. Um, and he decided that instead of just doing it on his own, he was going to go do it with another investment bank. Uh, and it was a startup investment bank. And I said, you know, that's, you know, it's crazy. You're going to give up half your carried interest. Are you sure you want to do that? And he said, yeah, I do. I think, you know, I think this makes sense. And I'm, I'm really excited about doing this. And I said, great. Well, you know, let me know how I can help. 10 years later, uh, he made a lot more money from the stock that he had gotten in the investment bank uh, than his carry, which was also very good. So the point being that he had two ways to win and he had an ecosystem that he built. And I kind of learned from that. And, and, and what I realized was uh, that we can attract better people who see the opportunity for them not to just win based upon a book of business, mm -hmm. a salary, but to be part of something, to be owners, to be driving value to be aligning the interests of all of us. So we're all working together. It makes a tremendous difference in attracting, uh, retaining talent. It mm -hmm. makes a tremendous di difference in attracting the talent you want yeah. because you want like-minded people. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing I would say is that uh, there is a recognition uh, that things are changing uh, in this world, in this world of, of, of asset management, multifamily office services. There was an article this weekend, uh, in which Mike Tiedemann, who's built a very nice firm spoke about, uh, how, uh, there are very few, few firms that are going to make the investment, truly make the investment in family office services and become true outsourced multifamily offices. And that is a very different proposition 
than let me manage your money, which largely comes out of the brokerage mentality of uh, 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 that we see even in some RIAs. So it's, it's just a very different uh, uh, mentality. So um, I think it's those two things. I think it's people who want to be part of something where they feel like the client's uh, uh, best interest is always at heart. They're providing unique solutions, full solutions for those clients. Uh, and it's people who want to be owners uh, and to be part of an ever-growing ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes sense to me for sure. And, and clearly it's, it's proven to be a model that's working so, so well for you. Again, I, I'm amazed at the talent that you've been able to, to, to pull over in the last uh, 18 to 24 months. Sarah, my um, guess is that's why you came over, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly why though. I think it's, you have the opportunity to really work with people that truly act and, and think like owners and then just work in a tremendously entrepreneurial environment. So we're all fortunate to work with wonderful families and wonderful families will tell you what they end up wanting. And by working with them, you learn what the next service to offer them is. So just being in an environment and working with people that have that same philosophy, I think it's a really tremendous proposition statement to come and work here. Well, and as an outsider, I can echo that. I mean, I've, I've been on some calls with your team uh, around from different folks from around the country that Sarah has spearheaded, and, and there is a genuine enthusiasm for Crescent, and, and that you can't fake that, you know. And and they're enthusiastic about the the firm when the owners or the leaders aren't around, and that's that's great, and that's exactly the kind of culture we're, we want to build in our building at, at Bridgeford as well. You know, I really want to get both of your your, your thoughts on, on what we can ignore to be the pandemic and how that's impacted not only all of our lives, but our industry. Um, you know, you are, I guess, still a relatively young company, although growing very quickly. Um, you know, how, as you approach the crisis and as things began to unfold, you know, two questions. Um, how did you handle it internally with your team? And then how did you handle it with your client base? Because that is, uh, that's very um, intriguing to me with how, you know, all of us in industry had to find a new way to be resilient and, and to be of service and of use in a world that was upside down. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, Sarah, do you want to answer that first and then I'll. Yeah, in? sure. So, so internally, and I think uh, Avi has been a really good proponent of this as well Is we've really utilized zoom and teams and, other systems to really be connected. And in some ways it's been really fortunate because, you know, before where you collaborate a lot with people um, in your own office, I think it's only further fostered the collaboration across offices. So mm -hmm. we have eight offices and, and I think geography just becomes less important on an internal basis. Um, and then just really utilizing the systems on, from the client perspective, I think it's been, you know, you'll, it is a little bit different. I have to say, I think, you know, adjusting to zoom for or video calls for clients. So we, we've been really cautious and we want to make sure everyone's comfortable on um, with in-person meetings, but in the interim, we found it's been extremely effective for both mm -hmm. clients and actually potential new clients as well with so many people kind of quarantining at home. What's been nice is, you know, we always lead with planning and I think people are also just kind of nervous about all the uncertainty in the world. So mm -hmm. I think they're very happy to kind of engage in the dialogue and really be connected in our community. Mm -hmm. And then also just hear kind of a second opinion from someone else. So, sure. uh, you know, our business, and I'll let Abby speak to it more, we've actually been growing during this time. 
Yeah, so it's amazing. I did not expect that. I'm sorry, Avi, go ahead. When the world recognized in March that we had this incredible problem, it scared the heck out of me. Uh, I was incredibly nervous that, you know, we had built a firm that we had invest tens of millions of dollars in uh, that uh, was based upon getting to uh, a growth number that would support the immense infrastructure we had built uh, and that it was it was going to be hard to get there when you couldn't couldn't meet with people. And when you add on top of the fact that you can't meet with people, uh, you've never seen our office spaces, but we invested really heavily in building what would really be town centers. We, we, we built uh, uh, places where we could have many events where families could feel comfortable bringing their whole extended family and, and, and having meetings with us. Uh, we invested in audiovisual equipment. We invested in, in really making things state of the art. Um, and obviously the world has changed pretty dramatically. Those investments don't look so good right now. So um, uh, I was nervous. I was scared. Uh, what has happened is uh, we became expert in virtual events. Uh, we became expert in, in dealing with clients, as Sarah mentioned, over Zoom and Teams and all those things. We redoubled our efforts uh, on, on being better at what we do. I've just brought in, for example, a new chief operating officer to make our, our platform even that much better. Uh, so we've tried to take advantage of the things that we can take advantage of in a time where you know certain things are, are more difficult. And it has become amazing to me as I look back uh, that we have onboarded 96 clients here to date, uh, majority of them since March. Uh, the vast majority of them since March. So it's amazing to me uh, what can be done even even in adversity. Um, there's a professor at Northwestern who, whose name is Adam Waits. Uh, we actually had to do an event for us because uh, he, he's, 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 he's brilliant about leadership and decision making. And one of his points is that uh, things that are both vibrant and recent uh, take an outsized uh, part of your brain when you're making decisions. And obviously, this is very vibrant and very recent. So a lot of the decisions that people are making today uh, are, 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 are being made with the, in that context. I don't know longer term whether those investments in space, uh, for example, will turn out to be very bad investments or, or good investments. But I know in the short term, they're going to be bad investments. So we have to figure out uh, how to modify that. We have to figure out how to uh, be better virtually because virtual meetings will be here to stay on some basis even after we go back to reality i think about you know what can we learn from the past well we can learn that after the 1918 pandemic we had the roaring 20s so people will want to go back and be out i don't think there's any and we're seeing that already right. uh, uh, so 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 i don't think we have to view it as it's going to be an all virtual society it will never be that but we can but we can also learn is from say, uh, uh, 9-11, is that people accept things that you never thought they would. TSA, uh, you know, uh, barriers in front of buildings, uh, you know, checkpoints in buildings, uh, in office mm-hmm. buildings. You go to New York City, you're not getting up to see anybody without some serious checkpoints. Same thing with Chicago. 
So, um, so there will be changes. And the positive of all of this is that you can be immensely more efficient when you're not having to get on airplanes all the time. So if you can get a balance in all of that going forward, uh, I, I, I think there are, there are things uh, to be garnered here. No, I completely agree. I appreciate your insight on that. I mean, I and I appreciate you being blunt. I mean, I, I too was very worried and nervous going into this. Um, you know, we, we have, as you do, people depend on us to make the right decision uh, and figure out how to pivot our companies. And Bridgeford, like you, has seen tremendous growth in the last four or five months, which is not something I predicted. I think it, it has to do with lots of things for both of our companies, but I think part of it is your ability to leverage the virtual reality of the new world. And, and Bridgeford's very active on digital media and has a lot of content out there, and, and people have time on their hands. I will chuckle, though. It took me a while to get used to all the Zoom meetings, particularly with Sarah, because I'd forget that we'd, I'd have to be shaven and, and have my hair combed. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm talking to her in 10 minutes. I better take a shower. Uh, you so, always look great when we yeah, Well, thanks. You, you forced me to have better hygiene, Sarah. So well, and, then you, and then you threw a complete monkey wrench in the works here with you. Send a microphone and headphones. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to plug all this in the computer. I mean, my goodness. We could, we could thank uh, our, and don't our forget, amazing don't team. COVID time, so my wife wife, anything that comes to my house has to be quarantined for two weeks. So, so I had to get by the quarantine. I mean, you created an enormous challenge for me, David. Absolutely. I apologize. Well, you know, I, I'm actually sorry that you're not wearing a mask. I, that was supposed to be part of this. Thing, so I'm sorry for making you feel unsafe. Um, if we could transition, because uh, I, I, again, I'm so fascinated with, with the story of Crescent. And I think part of what makes the story of Crescent so compelling is is the leading with planning. And I, I think that's not just a, 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 um, a punchline. I think you know, firms still haven't figured out how to do that uh, yet. And, and although they talk about it, you know, for years. And you know, as you know, I'm a lawyer by training like both of you and have been at big banks and they've been talking about leading with planning, but they never really did and they right. never really do. But you do, and I think that's a compliment really to Sarah and, and what she's doing. I've been part of, um, again, two or three calls. I know, Sarah, internally you're very well respected because you're a big idea person, and, and we both are big idea people, particularly when it comes to planning for our large families. And we love finding the new big idea. So Sarah, can you talk to me about you know, your transition into Crescent and, and sort of your vision for what you want to do in terms of you know, positioning the firm as, you know, well, it already is there, of course, but, but fine-tuning the positioning with respect to leading with planning in the conversations? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. I think it's a great place to start. So I think you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of firms, and particularly the banks, really pay a lot of lip service to leading with planning and, and very few do. So we have a very defined planning process that when a new a new person is introduced to Crescent, um, you know, we, we surround them really with a team. And so that team includes the family office services team, which is, is more than 20 people. And that family offices services team is made up with, of wealth planners that really do a lot of the financial modeling. Mm -hmm. Then you have the wealth strategists, which are largely former practicing trust and estate attorneys. Yep. Um, and so I'll just stop there. And what we really do for families and, and where South Dakota has come into it largely is we'll review all of their current documents as part of our planning process. And then we'll bring forth ideas. And unlike uh, most families' attorneys, which are on a billable hours model, we're not. So really, I think clients tend to open up and families tend to open up about you know, what their real objectives are. And, and you don't want to just plan for the sake of planning. You really want to understand a family's goals and objectives and make sure that, you know, 
do, is what their documents say matching what they're telling you? And so I think we're able to really bring a practical aspect to it. Um, so, you know, we've, we've obviously 2020 has been a year where there's so much uncertainty. I think people are, are very nervous about the pandemic. Um, coupling that with the upcoming election, I think you just have a lot of nervousness and we have a lot of concerns around privacy, asset protection. We have a lot of concerns around, and, and it almost seems bipartisan at this point, but rising tax rates and and all of our families are in the highest tax brackets. And, and many of them are in states that have among the highest income taxes when you look at California, New York, Illinois. And so, you know, we, they really want, they don't necessarily want to adjust their whole life, but they want to effectively plan. And so yeah. that's where I think South Dakota has really come in and, and been a great partner and working with a company like Bridgeford I think brings a new uh, brings a new view to how many people look at trust companies and trust law. So you know, David, we're friends because we both love big ideas and we mm -hmm. have for a long time. And and so you know, I think just starting on the topic of privacy and asset protection, mm -hmm. um, I think I'm sure we've all been coming up with the discussion that okay, you know, we're nervous about the U.S. Is it time to go offshore? I think a lot of people don't realize the complexities that come with going offshore. Um, offshore can can is appropriate in certain situations, and I'm not going to say it's not. But when you move offshore, um, there's you know additional reporting on the tax side that has to be done by working with an offshore offshore trustee. Um, you often working with an offshore custodian is not so easy, and you really limit the investment offering. And so one of the beauties of um, domestic asset protection is, you know, I think particularly in recent years, domestic asset protection has, when you look at the statutes of states like South Dakota, they have tremendous domestic asset protection laws. And so really looking at, and I think it was you, David, that actually told me that South Dakota, a lot of people are saying is the new Switzerland. And so um, I don't know if, if you want to go that far. <laughs> well, the regulators don't like that so much. Yeah. Sure. We'll um, go with it. So I don't know if you want to go that far, but I think domestic asset protection is a great place to start. So really love the asset protection statute in, in South Dakota. And then you have tremendous privacy. Um, and so, you know, and what I really love about a lot of the, the trusts that we do, particularly with you and a lot of the attorneys that we work with, is we have what we call decanting provisions, which allows you the ability to set up a South Dakota trust, save yourself a lot of the complexity of going offshore. And by having that decanting provision, you always maintain the flexibility that if you want to go offshore, you can. But generally, my default position when you're planning for a family is unless there's a really strong desire to be offshore, we generally are very happy with domestic asset protection and the privacy that provides. Well, and I'll add to that just briefly. And that's been our experience in the last 12 months. I would say that not only are people preferring to be the United, in the United States, but because of CRS and other types of uh, mandatory reporting requirements around the world, the offshore structures are just not as interesting to people. They feel their money is safer in the United States. They feel that the institutions are safer. 
Um, so anyhow, that's that's a great point. I mean, I, I agree with you, and we're seeing it anecdotally for sure. I mean, I, we're seeing so many existing structures being moved into the United States, which you know, twenty when I was in law school, it was just the opposite. Nobody nobody looked to the United States, and crazy enough, people called the United States a privacy haven and a tax haven, which is hard to understand. But in the new world, we really are. People don't like the word haven, I understand, but but we really are the the, the beacon for privacy uh, and asset protection at this point. Yeah. And, and I think the other reason I really love South Dakota is that, you know, you're coming from doing a lot of planning on the income tax side for, you know, California has a 13.3% state income tax. And so really, like, my first introduction to Bridgeford was when we were looking at a lot of these Ning and Ding trusts, yeah. which have tremendous state income tax savings, where now no longer does your California client have to relocate to Nevada or Texas or, or go through the residency planning, but they can effectively, you know, set up a Ning or a Ding Trust. And, and as we like to call them now, a Sting Trust, because South Dakota is our preferred jurisdiction. Um, but we're able to set up those types of trusts. And so that's a great income tax planning strategy for, for during a client's lifetime. And then I think the added benefit is you don't have to work with a bank, which um, bank trust companies, really, they have a lot of fees. They, and, and I think you use the word uh, bundled or unbund that you're, that we're unbundled, our model, but banks tend to bundle it. So, you know, you have high fees on the trustee side, you have high asset management fees, and you have, and clients have no idea what they're paying for and what the fees are. So right. in our model, you're able to work with an independent wealth management firm. So Cressets and RIA and, and completely a true fiduciary. And mm-hmm. then you're able to work with a trust company that we have a directed trust model. So you can work with a fairly, and, and I don't want to say you're too cheap on fees, but I sometimes wonder how, how you make money, David, because Bridgeford is so competitive on the trust. We're a nonprofit. I never told you that. We're a nonprofit. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when we become a profit. <laughs> I know, but it's but it's a great model. And, and I love to be able to show clients exactly how much they're paying. Because if you're at a JP Morgan, a Wilmington Trust, or where they're acting as the trustee, it's very unclear what what you're paying on for the trustee fee, it's very unclear what you're paying for the asset management fee, for the custodian fee. And so it's really great to be able to bring in other partners that have the same philosophy we do. Well, and I think it's the new paradigm. I mean, we've been talking about this, Sarah, since we met back, I think, in 2012. I mean, I think what you're doing at Crescent, uh, Avi, what you, what you have built is absolutely the new paradigm in our industry. I think the model of a, of a not to pick on Bank of New York Mellon, I was there for years, their fine organization, but I think that bundled approach is, is, is a dinosaur. I think that, you know, as, as wealth transfers, it's going to go right into the unbundled approach that eliminates all conflicts of interest, that has pure transparency that is built upon a, a chassis as you've built in terms of investments that's more sophisticated. And, and I think that's just unquestionably where it's going. So I, I think that is probably why I have such an affinity for the way Crested has been built, um, even before Sarah came on board, uh, because I, I understood what you were doing. I mean, I read, when I read the Reb website and, and talked to your people initially, I understood exactly what you were doing. You were solving a problem in the industry. And it's exactly what Bridgeford stands for. And then you brought Sarah on board. And now I just think you guys are brilliant for having brought Sarah on board. <laughs> I agree with that. You know, it's, um, it, it just, just picking up on, 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 on two things that you both are talking about. I, I think there are two things that are important that, that, that I stress. 
in this conversation. One is transparency. You know, it, it's 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 very hard uh, sometimes uh, to uh, eliminate all conflicts, right? But but the important thing is that you eliminate every conflict you can, and you are transparent about where they exist. So people know exactly what the fees are. I mean, they know exactly what people are paying. They know why they're paying it. And they know exactly what the services are. Second thing uh, that's, that's really important is, and this is we're all victims of our own upbringing and our own careers. So I spent my life uh, building businesses and investing in businesses. And you wouldn't invest in business in a business without a planning process, without a, without a, a business planning process that you know started with what are your goals uh, and then went through each way that you would try to achieve those goals and trying to break that down into the smallest possible uh, pieces and making sure you had the right people on board in each of those areas. And yet we as individuals, myself included, with our families and our family wealth and our, and our, our family planning, never did that. And it's, and it's not just, you know, having a multi-generational, you know, several hundred million dollar family that should be doing it. You should be doing it at every level because it's all about the mission of your family. What do you want your kids to remember you for? What does it stand for? What, what are your philanthropic interests? So, so you need a business plan uh, or a, a, a family plan. Uh, and it starts with that. And, and then you need a plan uh, to do all of the things that will allow you to keep as much of your hard-earned money as you can, which, which you were just discussing. But it really starts with that overall idea of mission, vision, and values, uh, and then all of the other pieces. And that's, that's really the differentiator. And um, no, it, it, it's also, I mean, look, we have a great advantage. You do and we do. We started recently. So it's not like we have all this legacy infrastructure that we have to un, un, undo or dismantle. We can start by figuring out what's the goal. What is it we want to create? What is this vehicle going to look like? And um, what you've done and what we've done is similar in that regard. Um, it's very hard to turn a ship like JP Morgan. It just is. I mean, you know, Jamie Dimon's brilliant and he's done a wonderful job, but to take what is basically all about gathering assets and charging as much as you can for managing those assets and turn that into really sitting down and saying with families, okay, well, let's, let's, let's build an infrastructure around what you need. Uh, that's not going to happen. So uh, uh, it, we really have an enormous opportunity. No, I, I agree. And I think not only, you know, are both of our companies, I think, a product of, of, I guess, addressing a hole in the industry. But I love the way the industry is evolving, too. I mean, these modern trust laws that Sarah was talking about, that's also an evolution. Absolutely. To what was wrong with the traditional trust industry, too. I mean, you know, not to be negative or even name names, but, you know, I, the idea of an irrevocable trust 20 years ago was was very uh, disconcerting to most families, especially large families, because they lost control and they couldn't pick the asset manager and, and, and they lost uh, really all direction in terms of um, administ basic aspects of administration. And then along comes modern trust law. So I think modern trust law ushers in a company like Bridgeford and, and, and a bifurcated approach to the ability to for people to choose you to manage money and have Bridgeford be a trust company. 
I believe that's that's probably one of, in my view, that is the most revolutionary aspects of what's happened in the last 25 years in our industry. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of giving direction and control back to these large families. And they're taking it back. I mean, it, 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 these are market solutions that are happening, right? This isn't the government coming in and making this stuff happen. The evolution is, is to me, um, uh, fascinating to watch. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I believe Bridgeford's a part of it. I know Crescent is. And the things Sarah talks about is you know, indicative of things that didn't exist when I was in law school back in the 90s. And that's amazing. And I always say I hated trust in the States when I was in law school. I hated that class. And, and now that I grew up to own a trust company. I think my friends in law school think something really bad happened to me along the way. Well, but, well, can, I tell my, can I tell my favorite story about trust please. in the States class? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we played a game in law school, uh, which was uh, uh, really not nice, but it was called Turkey Bingo. And the idea was back in those days, you know, you would get a uh, you would get a book when you came in, which had every, everyone's picture in your class. And uh, people would make bingo cards by cutting out those pictures that they thought were people who would raise their hands and be recognized most in class. And so being the entrepreneur uh, that I was working with a few other entrepreneurs, uh, we created a turkey bingo game where when you came in. To class, you put some money in the pot, you had your bingo card, and uh, you had a phrase of the day. And uh, when you got that phrase, uh, when you got bingo, when you when your people that you had selected had all been rec- raised their hands and recognized, been recognized, you you had to say the phrase, and then everybody knew that you had bingo and, and you won. And the idea was to, to, to do that with a phrase so that, you know, not every professors wouldn't all know what was going on. Of course, uh, there was nothing really secretive uh, in law school. So uh, in Trust in the States class, uh, one day we had a very large pot and uh, the uh, phrase was in Texas where the winds blow free. Uh, and I asked him to go bingo. And so I had to raise my hand and be recognized and make up a story. And in the middle of it, I said, well, and of course, this would really work well in Texas where the winds blow free. <laughs> and the erupted and I got in big trouble. <laughs> but you made a lot of money though, right? So. Yeah, good day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Wow. Even in, even in law school, I love it. And I, I don't miss those days, by the way. I, I did not love law school the way some tell me they do, but... Uh, well, I have to thank you both. I mean, you know, again, I, I, I can't say enough just how impressed I am with, with watching Crescent sort of develop. Um, I am truly humbled. We are truly humbled at Bridgeford to be able to support you in every way that we can as partners and as collaborators around the country. Um, and, and, and sincerely, congratulations on what you've done. I mean, it truly is remarkable. And I, want, uh, I, I love to dangling, but if you don't mind, I would just like to... to of course. To- just don't like to leave things dangling. I said I would come sure. back to it. I didn't, uh, which was uh, the fact that Crescent is, is owned in part, small part, by our clients. And I want to explain that because I think it's really important uh, for people to understand. And it really dovetails with all the things that we're talking about. As important uh, is all of the things that we've just talked about, the business plan, the estate plan, uh, doing things really smartly for a family, cybersecurity, medical security, all those things that we do, is the fact that, you know, there's an old saying, if you've seen, met one uh, family office, you, you've met one, right? That, that everyone is, is, is so different. And I think what, what people, uh, at least of my generation, crave uh, are groups like YPO and Tiger 21 and, and, and all of these organizations where there is peer-to-peer exchange and learning. So part of what we also set out to build was the best ecosystem. 
So uh, the folks that are our clients and investors in Crescent are, are you know, incredibly uh, uh, thoughtful and interesting folks. Uh, you know, one in the defense industry, a couple in the utilities industry, a number, number from financial services industry, manufacturing industries. And we have a forum uh, for people to be able to discuss really important issues. And I think as we go on, uh, that's important too. Uh, and, and so uh, building the right ecosystem, having clients who have a vested interest in making you better and giving you their input unabashed, uh, that makes things a lot better. So I highly recommend it and uh, I'm, I'm glad we did it. And I think it's been, been really good for us and I recommend it to anybody else out there. No, thank you for sharing it. I'm glad you came back to that. I think that's that's um, something that we all could learn from. I mean, the ability to have uh, unabashed comments and input is is uh, undervalued. It comes up. I mean, it's 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 right. so interesting. We were given the ability to invest in a software business uh, that uh, provides uh, demand management for utilities, mm-hmm. and in our ecosystem uh, was the chief investment officer of one large utility and the chairman of the board of another large utility. So our ability to diligence and understand this from the user's perspective was second to none. Mm-hmm. I wished I had that kind of connectivity when I was in the private equity business by itself. Uh, this was better diligence than I ever did before. So I was very excited about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, great concept. Well, again, I thank you both so much for joining us, you know, as, as we position our companies to, to navigate in this sort of new normal, although I guess I'm tired of hearing people say that. I don't know that it's a new normal. I think it's just a, a different reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different reality. Um, I, I'm just, I, again, congratulations on the success that you've had. And Sarah, over the years, your friendship and support of Bridgeford has been phenomenal. I look forward to great continued work together. And, yeah, and- like, likewise. Ed, and thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thank Navi, my, my new friend, Navi. Oh, absolutely. We'll do it. We'll do this again, hopefully in person and uh, on a golf course. We're available. Yes. Perfect. Thank you both so much. Thanks, David. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider to keep posted on when new episodes are added. For more information, visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.